0: Hello and welcome to episode 21 of The Figure Podcast. Each week we figure out people, numbers and images of the past, present and future, hosted by Georgia Parkin and Charlotte Lorimer. And this week, for our 21st episode, we want to dedicate this to women everywhere and to every person who is fighting for gender equality across the world. Uh, This we feel very strongly in light of all of the news this week and... There have been things this week that have happened that I just can't believe. And I think that it's time that we really tackle this head on. So this episode is going to be structured, like most episodes, with three figures, three sections. But we're going to continue this theme through each section. And we're going to talk more about what have, what's what been happening in the news and our own experiences. But um, through the stories mm. of the statistics and figures that we're going to talk about today. So just to explain what the
1: news has meant for us and what we have picked out and experienced and have been thinking about. Uh, Firstly, we went to an absolutely phenomenal book launch of Why Feminists Don't Wear Pink and Other Lies, which is a book of 52 essays by journalists, activists, poets, um, lots of women in all different fields Mm -hmm. um, about what the F word means to them and the F word being feminism. And this has been curated by Scarlett Curtis. And in the interview that she did with BBC Women's Hour, they asked her, does it, should it still be called the F word? Surely we're beyond this. Surely it's more spoken about. We don't need to hide away from that word feminism and what it means. And part of what has happened directly in relation to this book shows that we have so far to go. So we had the event on Thursday, and Scarlett said that there was something that had happened that she wasn't allowed to talk about for legal reasons.
0: In the big shop, top shop store on Oxford Street, a pop up shop had uh, popped up, <laughs> <laughs> um, selling uh, merchandise that went along with the book, as well as the book. Um, and it looked and it was really, raising money for Girl Up, yeah, which it, is the charity really cool. that I all really of want, the profits are going to yeah I really wanted a bag or like a badge or like a t-shirt that had the logo I saw it, it and got so excited on Instagram yeah I before this I read what it was talking about I was so excited I really wanted to go and buy, buy it because I love all the pink stuff I just love <laughs> it um, and what had happened was Philip Green had uh, allegedly walked into the shop during a morning walk apparently he does this and drops in to have a look at how the shop is looking and dismantled it uh, 20 minutes after it was put up. And the thinking is that uh, he saw it and disliked it very much and tore it down and apparently made the uh, Penguin... Was it the publicity... Uh, oh, the PR, PR lady. She cried. Yeah, she cried because she'd obviously probably I felt spent like all night uh, putting it up. Um, and also just really frustrated that mm. it wasn't going to launch. It's such a good idea. Such, such a, idea. a brilliant idea. Think of the audience that... Uh, Topshop attracts all the young teenage girls. This would have been perfect. It but... would have been.
1: It was the most perfect partnership, especially because Topshop have been known for selling T-shirts with feminist on them. Yeah. Making so much money from the this, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then they go and tear down mm-hmm. this feminist book launch pop-up, mm-hmm. and they donate twenty-five thousand pounds to Girl Up. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, twenty-five thousand pounds is an absolute blip mm-hmm. in their Overall revenue. Profits, yeah it's yeah. unbelievable so just to explain a bit more about Philip Green um or Sir Philip Green to use his full title which he is clinging on to um there have been protests over him actually losing his title because what happened um back in 2015 he sold BHS for one pound to Dominic Chappell who is a charlatan. Who siphoned off millions of BHS's money or whatever was left of it for himself, and it has since been it's gone under, and that has left uh, eleven thousand people unemployed, and without pensions, even, and, right? Yeah, yeah, and pensions has been the huge problem as well as one point three billion pounds worth of debt, and. God. What this uh, journalist called Oliver Shaw, who's written a book called Damaged Goods, was talking about was how Philip Green was purposefully uh, distancing himself from BHS, knowing that it was going to go under at some point mm-hmm. and just getting the money for himself. I think he t- he took millions um, and put it in his own pocket, probably paid for his super yacht, which cost £100 million. And he is such a greedy man
0: and also apparently quite violent so apparently he makes a lot of threats to journalists so yeah oliver
1: shah um opens his book with there are times as a journalist when you step back and think is this really happening the morning of the 23rd of april 2016 was one of those moments it was a bright spring saturday and the king of the high street aka philip green was threatening to kill me this is a man who's given death threats to journalists and is still knighted yeah And I think that we can draw a comparison to Sir Christopher Chope, who was the MP that blocked the bill that would have made taking photos of other people up their skirts illegal Mm. in England and Wales.
0: I mean, I don't know too much about Christopher Chope. I think, obviously, with Christopher Chope, the, the logic behind him blocking it was that it hadn't been debated and that every bill needs to be debated and that's yeah. like the fair process and the due diligence. But if he had
1: actually read into the bill, you would have seen that right. this is something that is pretty right. difficult to debate in that it's just such a huge leap hole oh, yeah. that Gina oh, yeah. Martin and, has been and filling. I, and I
0: don't, I don't at all, obviously, uh, <laughs> feel like there is any opposition to upskirting. But I think with Philip Green, it's just an extra level of someone who is a bully. Mm. And someone who really, really, really should not be in the level of authority no. that he is. But the, and actually sounds really scary and the awful. Com-
1: yeah. The comparison that I wanted to make is that the best way to give a platform to exactly the thing that you're trying to block yeah. is to ban it I and know. to block it.
0: And as of today Feminists Don't Wear Pink and Other lies is now number two on Amazon so it reached number one at one point did it
1: really yeah yes
0: it's so good though I really recommend it like I'm yeah. just so enjoying it
1: it's absolutely fantastic yeah, definitely definitely get yourself a copy mm-hmm. um, but the other thing to say um, about Philip Green and this book Oliver Shah, by Oliver Shah, is that it was published by Penguin which is the same publisher that published Feminists Don't Wear Pink. Yeah. So, what Oliver Shah tweeted was this is a Venn diagram of like a nightmare for Philip Green. If yeah. he walks into Topshop in Oxford Street and he sees feminism and he sees Penguin Books yeah. in his shop, he's not yeah. going to want it there. And we don't actually know whether it was coming from him, but I feel like it makes sense because he's not, he's so high up as chairman of Arcadia, which is the group that owns Topshop. Mm this kind of pop up would never have been run past him that's too high up in the organization but equally it would take somebody who was that high up in order to de- dismantle it that quickly
2: mm.
1: and without the thought of any pr or the impact that that was going to have and i'll be interested to see if this does have any tiny impact on top shops um sales this month because when I went shopping sure. with Mary on my birthday which was one of the best birthdays I've ever had so that has been one of the, the highs of this week we purposefully didn't want to go into Topshop we both looked at each other and we just thought no I don't want to give them any of my money mm. and I just think it's such a shame because that was such an incredible opportunity to open up conversations about feminism especially for young girls who may have these insecurities or beliefs that they can't wear pink if they're a feminist they can't wear makeup if they're a feminist they can't wear heels and this is exactly what is trying to be dismantled by the book
0: I think I think all that it's really highlighted for me like that I've just really taken for granted that actually a lot of people have the same view as me and that's just not the case yeah whether it's Trump whether it's Brett Kavanaugh whether it's this you know unfortunately there are so many people that just do not see this as a priority. Yeah. Or do not believe women when they accuse mm. someone of the... Or shut down, glo- you know, climate change. Don't believe in it. This was an interview I heard with Deborah Francis-White and Will Franken on BBC Five Live uh, on Friday morning. Mm. I mean, horrendous. I, I um it makes your blood boil, that whole it, interview. It does make my blood boil. And I and I, I felt so just disheartened with, with all of that that had gone on. Um, and as we'll talk about later in the episode, uh, Brett Kavanaugh has been voted in the Supreme Court by 50 votes to 48. And actually, um, I actually didn't. I actually don't have any words. Um, no. Hopefully I'll get some together before we talk <laughs> the about the third image.
1: <laughs> The other things to mention that's happened this week that's been on my mind is that we've had the Nobel Peace Prize. And on that list of nominees, were two people that I just... I read it and I thought my eyes were playing tricks with me. We had Donald Trump and we had King Jong-un on the list for the Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> and I just think, can you please just choose any one of the 52 women in this book and give it to them? Because that yeah. would actually mean something. And it just... It makes, I felt like it made a whole, a mockery out of the entire thing. Yeah, and does. on that, you've read a brilliant article, which I really want to read about, which was in mm-hmm. the Sunday Times.
0: Yeah, um, it was about uh, Joyston Bell Burnell, who as a PhD student over 50 years ago, uh, was actually looked over, or passed over for a Nobel Prize um, because it went to her male colleagues. Um, she was part of the team that discovered pulsars in the cosmos. Um, and she talks about, this article about how um, how much she loves physics, why she got into science, what it's been like as a woman in science, how much of an uphill journey it's been, um, and just the sort of misogyny um, that kind of she experienced when she was at university and that um, the guys would always catcall and wolf whistle when any woman uh, walked into the room. She got married at a time where women really didn't have their own careers um, and she moved around uh, with her husband who had a job Uh, with the government so I was constantly following him Um, and I think this stat kind of sums it all up that only 48 women were awarded the Nobel Prize between 1901 and 2017 out of nearly 900 individuals so um, either straight white men are better at everything not to say that every single one of those 900
1: would have been straight white men but there's a problem with balance yeah (laughs) and this is also not to say that we would want to take away the achievements of men who have been God, no. white, straight.
0: Honestly, uh, nothing against white, straight men. I am uh, very much love a lot of them, genuinely. Um, it's not about that. What about we're talking is about is the, the overall system, in that there's not much space for anyone else. And, and the, the oppression certain parts of, certain of your
1: identity, like your sexuality, your, the sc- colour of your skin, and your biological gender, mm. can block you in what you can achieve. Mm hmm. So on that note, I'm going to talk about uh, an incredibly inspiring feminist who managed to overcome a whole lot to achieve an, a massive amount. So the first figure that we're going to be talking about today is Maya Angelou. And I'm going to copy the list that... Uh, Oprah Winfrey provided when she was describing um, who Maya Angelou is and what she's done. So she described her as a poet, an activist, a professor, an actor, a dancer, a writer, a singer, a director. She's written over 30 books. She speaks seven languages. She spoke seven languages, sorry. She passed away in 2014. Um, She was born in 1928. And she is somebody that I, I feel like I say this about so many things that we learn about on this podcast, but I honestly cannot believe how I've gone through 23 years of my life knowing next to nothing about this woman.
0: Yeah, I know. But that's so the case of so many people, especially a lot of women.
1: Mm -hmm. And black women, unfortunately. And... I listened to a fantastic um, episode of Book Club, which um, I want to look into the other books that they've covered. It's a Radio 4 programme, which is mm. you can have as a podcast. And they do one a month, and they invite an author of a different book on to speak about it. They have questions from the audience. And the uh, presenter, Jim Doherty, described her as one of the greatest black writers in American history. And I immediately wanted to counter him and call him out, but I obviously couldn't because I was listening. Mm. And then Maya Angelou d- does it herself. And she says, one of the greatest writers. Yeah. And I think that that's what we need so much more of. Why do we have to keep on putting people into their boxes and say... Yeah,
0: because that's how it's, I guess that's how it's always been done, hasn't it? But the, but But we need to change that now. And I think that's one of the reasons why we have... Female, this female that females and males have always been seen Mm -hmm. differently. It's because we've always been putting them in different boxes, and that's until really recently. Yeah, we had no way of uh, earning our own money, or Mm. I don't know, taking credit for our own achievements, or winning a Nobel Prize, or or any of the above. Mm. So, uh, yeah, rightly so that she Mm. called called him out in doing that. Yeah.
1: So that was a um, the book that they were covering was I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings. And a comment that I really liked from one of the audience members was how the emphasis in that book, despite it being an autobiographical account of the sexual trauma and other traumas she's had within her life, it's much more about the singing than the being caged. Mm. So just to explain a little bit about her life, mm-hmm. um, she was born in Saint Louis, and at the age of seven and a half, uh, she was raped by her mother's boyfriend Mm -hmm. he was then killed uh she was told by the policeman that he had been kicked to death having told her mum and others what had happened to her
0: i think she told her brother and her brother ended up telling her whole family and then she felt responsible for his death isn't that so interesting even at age seven one still feels guilty about one's assault that's happened to them do you know what i mean
1: it's like What the fuck? Her seven-year-old self believed that her Mm. voice had killed this man and, as a result, didn't speak for five to six years.
0: Isn't that interesting And a seven-year-old makes that link Mm. um, and yet, you know, we wonder why women aren't coming forward uh, and, and, and reporting their attackers and reporting their incidences and when they do, they are met with... Hostility. Hostility, criticism, why didn't you tell us sooner? Doubt. Why didn't you, yeah, doubt, How, what evidence do you even have for this? Mm. Um, and she speaks
1: to Oprah Winfrey about this. You um, also had a
0: terrible childhood full of abuse as well. Yeah. And
1: she describes Oprah as one of her daughters. She um, Maya Angelou actually had her son when she was 16. And she never had any other children, but she kind of mentored and took these mm. other wonderful people into her life. And um, Oprah Winfrey was one of them. And it's such a beautiful interview to listen to. It doesn't really feel like an interview. It's just like you're a very lucky fly on the wall and you're listening to a mother and daughter talking about what's important to them and what they want to change in the world and what they're grateful for. Gratitude is such a huge part of who she was and what she spoke about. And poetry and this is something that they talk about in her Desert Island Disc, mm. which is, uh, so Michael Parkinson actually was the one who presented that, I think. Yeah. And he asks her, so what rescued you from your silence after five to six years of not saying anything? And she says, one word answer, poetry. Mm. And what had happened was her teacher had said, you don't like poetry, you don't love it. And for Maya Angelou, that was so hard to hear she thought of course I love it I read it all the time I just mm. she would read and read and read and read and read that's what she did in those times that she wasn't speaking and her teacher was saying but you don't speak it and if you can't hear those words tumbling out of your mouth and you can't feel them on your tongue and you can't just the way that they sound and sonorate and that that aspect of it you can't fully love it and you can't fully like it and it was that that actually got her to speak and i'm very grateful that she did start to speak because her voice is one of the most beautiful that i've ever heard
0: mm, her voice is amazing you definitely feel uh, all of that gosh that character and life experience and there's just feel there are so there's many such depth to it and depth behind her voice i think Absolutely. that
1: her desert island disc is the collection of so many beautiful voices she had oh my god the songs are The songs are incredible. She had Leon T. Price. She had Mahalia Jackson. She had Frank Sinatra and Stevie Wonder, um, among others. And she talks all about her mother, who sounded like Mm -hmm. quite a force to be reckoned with. Mm -hmm. Um, A real feminist uh, activist, as well as being a nurse. Mm -hmm. And she owned lots of hotels. And... That was also something that was interesting she talked about in several interviews was how her grandmother who she went to live with and her mother, they owned property and they owned land, mm. yet they didn't that didn't even give them the respect that you would otherwise think you would get mm. as the landlord.
0: Interesting. Yeah. So well,
1: there's a scene in the sense. there's a scene in the book, um the first of five autobiographies I think that she wrote, um where it's about the dentist and the dentist refuses to give Maya Angelou treatment because she is a Negro, and he says that he would rather put his hand in the mouth of a
0: dog than a Negro. God, that's hard to. It is. Isn't it interesting though as well, like how poetry? I feel like song, songs are, songs are, I guess, like poetry. Um, how. Uh, and poetry is like song it is and how you can get across you know so many uh, soldiers after the first world war when they were going through really intense PTSD I mean they wrote countless poetry uh accounts of what had Mm. happened to them and it almost feels like that's easier and makes more sense actually than writing it down word for word and that you can almost Mm. explain more in um poetry yeah um I know someone um uh close to me who had um had gone through some horrendous um instances in their life including um sexual assault and and couldn't really speak about it but wrote a lot of poetry and that was the only way that they could kind of account um for what happened
1: mm, i think they're not alone in that mm. i i would definitely relate to that mm. and something that I loved about studying poetry myself as a student was looking at the soundscape of it Mm. and it completely changed the way that I looked at poetry because when you start to see why is it so beautiful, why does it sound so connected when you speak it out loud and it's when they have vowel sounds that connect different words Mm. and whether people think the the actual poets think this through or not you'll never really know unless you can speak to them but in some poems you'll have a kind of moaning sound you'll have like oh or slow and flow and go and yeats did that in uh, there's a poem um i can't remember the name of it now but it's this like beating shore Mm. and it makes the poem flow and connect and sit together but that can those sounds communicate the emotion that the words are also saying. Mm. Which is it's why I think good. that poetry can go across languages as well, and that you could listen to a beautiful French poem or a beautiful Italian poem or... And it's the sound and and it's it it the sound, that
0: you can really appreciate. Yeah. Almost like in song.
1: Yeah. It's like, why is Shakespeare read all over the world? It's because mm. his sounds are so mesmerising. You just want to h- keep hearing them, mm. it's just such a powerful medium. Mm. I I love poetry so much. And on that note, we just wanted to um, insert a clip of Maya Angelou reading the poem um, Still I Rise, which I think was the first time that I came across her. Um, she has been featured as an inspirational figure and quoted on several episodes of Woman's Hour, and throughout the book Deborah Frances White has just published, The Guilty Feminist. And we could have done this section when we'd already read about her and we'd read her autobiographies, and I definitely will, but I am wanted to explore more of her now and share what we found out this week.
2: Everyone in the world has gone to bed one night or another with fear, or pain or loss, or disappointment and yet each of us has awakened, arisen, uh, somehow made our ablution, seen other human beings, and said, morning, how are you? Fine, thanks, in you? It's amazing, wherever that abides in the human being, there is the nobleness of the human spirit, despite it all, black and white, Asian, Spanish, Native American, pretty, plain, thin, fat, vowed a celibate, we rise. You may write me down in history with your bitter twisted lies. You may trod me in the very dirt, but still like dust, I'll rise. Does my sassiness upset you? Why are you beset with gloom? Just cause I walk as if I have oil wells pumping in my living room. Just like suns and like moons, with the certainty of tides, just like hope springing high. Still I rise. Did you want to see me broken, bowed head and lowered eyes, shoulders falling down like teardrops, weakened by my soulful cries? Does my sassiness upset you? <laughs> Don't take it so hard just cause I laugh. <laughs> As if I have gold mines, Out of the huts of history's shame, I rise. Up from a past rooted in pain, I rise. A black ocean leaping and wide, welling and swelling, I bear in the tide. Leaving behind nights of terror and fear, I rise. Into a daybreak miraculously clear, I rise. Bringing the gifts that my ancestors gave, I am the hope and the dream of the slave. And so, naturally, there I go rising.
0: The second figure for this episode is that a woman will spend 18,000 pounds on average over the course of her lifetime on menstrual products. And this is carrying on from our theme of Pink Protest this week. And the Pink Protest was co-founded by Scarlett Curtis, Grace Campbell, and Alice Skinner. We saw Grace and Scarlett on Thursday at the Feminists Don't Wear Pink book launch panel. And uh, we wanted to talk about this because Periods and period poverty, particularly, was something that I really didn't know much about at all. In fact, I had absolutely no idea that there was even such a thing as period poverty. Up until I only found out this six year, six months to mm. a year ago. I didn't even realise until probably two two years ago that we were being taxed uh, for tampons and pads as a luxury item, and that Jaffa cakes are taxed as an essential. I mean, like- I find it hard not to laugh when it's sort of like laughing and crying when you hear that. It it just—it's so ridiculous. It's it's because certain men that created that law and they obviously never had to uh, buy them. Um. But also, just to
1: backtrack and explain (laughs) what period poverty is: essentially, one in ten girls in the UK can't afford to buy menstrual products each month, which means that they are using toilet paper, socks, tissue, Mm -hmm. and the impact that finding this information out has had on one particular individual was that she has started this campaign called Hashtag Free Periods. Mm-hmm. And this girl is... She was 17 when she started it. She's now 18. She's called Amica George. Mm-hmm. And she's the kind of person that I would have liked to have seen on the list of nominees for the Nobel Peace Prize. Right. Not Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un. Correct. Side Sidebar. <laughs> mm, well put. Uh, so she read an article um, from the BBC about how many girls, young girls were missing school as a result of having their period and not being able to afford tampons or pads and therefore feeling so ashamed that they couldn't even go into school. Mm. And the website Free Periods collects some really terrifying research, mm. um, which is that if girls miss school every time they have their period they would be 145 days behind boys Mm. and that 40 percent of these girls have used toilet paper i know and that nearly half of them are too embarrassed to talk about it or to ask i know and what i really like about her campaign not only have they got practical elements of it in that they organized a protest that was attended by 2000 girls Mm -hmm. um or people i should say Mm -hmm. i'm sure there were some men in the crowd there as well um at and they managed to persuade the government to give 1.5 million pounds of the tampon tax to like helping girls who can't afford menstrual products such
0: a large amount of money as well like i can't believe that we have 1.5 million I'm quite it cynical sucks. over
1: it. I, I think that that's a ridiculously small amount of money. Cons- well, I'm sure it is. I don't mean the government
0: want to give up any money,
1: but considering that in order to do this for all girls who are on free school meals, yeah. who therefore it's like an indicator obviously that they come from a yeah, family definitely. where they so might it's, struggle it's to off, of It's yeah. a way of measuring, it's a way of measuring where they might struggle to afford menstrual products. For, to do this for everybody mm. in that scenario, it would only be 4.78 million pounds. And you think when you've got the budgets that we're spending on, let me mention the pretty word Brexit, and Trident, all the
0: nuclear, yeah, exactly, Trident. And you just think
1: this is it's it's the same sort of anger that I've got over Topshop giving twenty five thousand pounds to Girl Up.
0: Yeah, it's just such an intrinsic. It just come from such an intrinsic problem, like the 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 fact that that it was probably a group of male MPs who created the law and created the tax that we're now taxed, the fact that we don't really talk about periods or, like, female masturbation or sex or anything in to do with that, because I don't know if that was traditionally a way of keeping women more silent um, about their bodies. Well, just, I think that the problem is, as part of
1: this imbalance that we've had for millennia, that for certain voices from certain backgrounds have been stronger than others... We therefore don't have the experience of everybody being represented in Parliament. So if you are a man, you don't scientist. you don't have a period. Therefore, it's not a priority. Or
0: a uterus. So therefore, you don't think necessarily about contraception or abortion in the same way that women
1: do. But then the other po- problem is that because they have always been taboo subjects to a certain extent, and we are now hopefully trying to get to the point where it's not so taboo. Yeah. If you don't talk about it, you don't know that it's a problem. Yeah. And therefore you can't do anything to change why it. we really know about period poverty. And something that I... Just going back to what Maya Angelou was saying with Oprah Winfrey, she said, when you know better, you do better. Yeah. And this is what this is all about. Activism today, I yeah. think social media is such a huge part of it. But yeah. it is educating everybody who needs to be educated yeah, to yeah, say, this is an issue, what can we do to change it? Oh, we can donate under five million pounds yeah. to actually make a real real impact and yeah. to make girls more comfortable about themselves their bodies and therefore ultimately educate them and think about how many amazing things could come out of that it's
0: just can i ask you a question that um has been thrown at me um in light of period poverty mm. which is isn't there uh, better things or more people in need that we could spend that money on this is not my opinion, by the way. battery is not
1: helpful. Mm. And that when you start to rank people on their problems, you are really missing the empathy and compassion that goes along with everything. No matter how big or small you think a problem is, it's still pain, it's still embarrassment, mm. and helping people through that is so important, no matter what that issue is. And if
0: we are going to be taxed on these things, then what better use for the money to go directly to people who can't afford it? Um, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I find it very difficult actually, um, when talking to people who are skeptical about those sorts of issues, whether that be period poverty, whether it be climate change, whether it be feminism, it's really, really, really hard to keep your cool. And actually, I think that's something I really, really need to learn how to do because... But why do we need to keep our cool? That's just another part of the oppression that... I think that sometimes people would just suddenly... If, you, if they see someone who suddenly gets quite enraged or it really bothers them, I don't think they necessarily listen to someone as clearly as if you spoke very calmly and be, were able to sort of reiterate your argument in a very succinct logical way Mm. and i think there's something so powerful about that
1: yeah no i i know what you mean i just have to not get so emotional about it because i but i do think that
0: as um
1: dolly and pandora have talked about on the high load that society has a bit of an issue with female anger we don't really know how to deal with it and Mm. it seemed it's seen as so unfeminine that everybody gets very worked up about it and Mm. they don't ironically, they get angry about women getting angry. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And I think that being told to, you know, keep your cool or that we should be angry about this. This is an absolute disgrace, which is actually Grace Campbell's Instagram name, I think. So what can we do to help these women, Scarlett Curtis, Amica George, Alice Skinner, Grace Campbell, and their campaign free periods? So first of all, have a look at the website. They list some really brilliant charities and projects. So we've chosen Bloody Good Period as the charity of the month for October, um, which is a charity that provides menstrual products to asylum seekers and refugees. Okay. Um, the other projects to mention is the Red Box Project, which was outside the book launch, and they were collecting uh, menstrual products that they provide for free for schoolgirls. And you can anybody can organise one of these red boxes. Mm-hmm. And... Um, then get in contact with them and then they will help distribute it mm. um, the other things that are covered on that is menstrual cups mm-hmm. which um, is our was our action to go along with the charity that we've chosen um, and in relation to this stat of how much money it costs every mm. over the life that's definitely
0: the sustainable solution to, to, to this to, to be honest it's sustainable in the sense that it'll be better for the planet and it'll also be cheaper for everyone
1: mm-hmm well so i bought mine from mm-hmm. lunette mm-hmm. and they very succinctly explain the benefits of it In that it's less money it's healthier for you because it means that you're not um like the, the way of collecting those fluids and that blood is actually cleaner because mm-hmm. you haven't got like chemicals on the tampons and stuff like that um a happier planet obviously because the waste and the disposal of menstrual products is a serious issue and it does make me feel slightly sick when I think about how much that has been in what would it be 12 years of my life
0: I know imagine the pile that you 12 years just
1: for the individual. times 12 yeah I know that's a lot yeah and that's just one person yeah um and also you can have more control because how I mean we've Everybody has been in that scenario where you've been in totally the wrong place, and you have started your period, and then you don't have anything with you. And if you have
0: your menstrual cup, then obviously you can just you can just carry it around with you. I had the, I guess, classic nightmare uh, situation on Friday. Um, I was walking through Spitalfields Market, and I just suddenly had this um, feeling that something wasn't quite right, and I looked down. Um, at my crotch, I suppose, and I could just see blood had just come through my trousers all the way down. So kind of like halfway down my thighs, like on the inside of my thighs, through my trousers, just a pool of blood everywhere. Um, it is the worst. Don't really know what to say. Uh, it
1: was I, think, I think what to say is that every woman
0: listening yeah. will have been in that scenario. Yeah. It is absolute like nightmare yeah i had a tampon and a pad on as well which i kind of couldn't believe and then that night of sleep was just one of the worst nights i've ever had i woke up every four hours um, and had to change my tampon and pad because it was soaked through
1: and this is from people who are lucky enough to afford menstrual products and it just i just can't even imagine what it would be like not to be able to do that and yeah. i'm sure you've had this where you haven't had something with you and therefore you've had maybe half an hour where you've had to like just put some toilet paper, toilet paper and it worst. is it's so, yeah, it's so uncomfortable and you just can't just think about anything wrong. else and it's awful yeah, yeah, yeah. and you can't concentrate and if we've got yeah. girls in school who just have that of course it. you can't concentrate it's
0: just it's so, it's just one of those issues where we need to just face the facts period poverty exists there are women in this country that can't afford menstrual products and actually, we need to support that, just like lots of other good causes. Mm. Um, and I'm glad that, that there are campaigns like the Pink Protest. I don't think I've actually heard of anything like that in the past, the sort of stigma not, not around Not until it. this year, No, for neither me. have I. And that's kind of weird, mm. isn't it? That that's never been a thing.
1: Yeah. So we'd encourage you to mm. uh, sign the petition. We'll put the link in the episode description. And there are lots of podcasts to listen to, um, Guilty Feminist... Um, feminist don't wear pink podcast amica george and grace campbell come on to talk about this
0: to purchase a menstrual
1: cup yes and try it out and putting it in fine everybody's like oh it's so great like don't worry about it it's always a fear there's a huge fear around it don't be scared the
0: coil there's a fear of that too
1: however taking it out is going to take some practice yeah and I will keep
0: persevering. Kind of like tampons, though. Remember when you first put in a tampon? Yeah, I was freaking out like the whole time. Yeah, definitely. And it's fine. And it was then like you. So then chill it's just, now. And then it's obviously.
1: fine. So, but it is like it creates a vacuum, so it's quite tricky. Oh <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: the third figure for this episode is the image of the time magazine cover of dr christine blasey ford giving her testimony last week and again with our theme uh this week um of talking about feminism and pink protest and women around the world i think this is probably the news item that has kind of disheartened and shocked me the most
1: so do you want to give a summary of what has happened from July of this year up
0: until this weekend. Um, yeah, so in July of this year Justice Anthony Kennedy who was a uh, centrist conservative Supreme Court judge retired after I think like 30 years and uh, several nominees were put forward um, to take his place which is what happens and this is a lifelong uh, appointment. Appointment. Uh, Brett Kavanaugh's name was one of them um, and he's been a judge in the dc circles for years um as we've learned about on the daily i think the
1: coverage of this on the daily has been absolutely phenomenal and i am so grateful to michael Barbaro
0: for doing what he does <laughs> george is waving her arms she's absolutely in love with this just love this man so much um so it's, it's more for the anybody who
1: does want to take a deep <laughs> deep dive into any of the topics that they cover they just cover it with such
0: mm. simplicity but focus yeah Um, Anyway, uh, an anonymous letter was delivered to uh, the Senate Judiciary uh, for... Representative of California, and it was an open letter um, about a a victim who had claimed that Brett Kavanaugh had assaulted her. 36 years ago. Um, Then came out to be Dr. Ford. Um, and her account of this incident that happened when they were, I think, 17. Wasn't she 15 and he was 17? Yeah. What happened was, over the course of the last few weeks, uh, the Democrats raised this issue, um, and then an investigation took place into his character, um, and the FBI then got involved, um, and then she was asked to give testimony to the account of what happened, and she did that in a very poised and eloquent way and I can't believe that she um had the bravery to do that god right? yeah and to sort of stand up and actually
1: tell her story in front especially of when Supreme she Hall. has she had she is somebody who has come forward to a certain extent in that mm. she felt it was her civic duty mm. to write a that letter. was her reasoning
0: and so her reasoning for coming forward after all this time was that this is a lifetime report uh, a lifetime appointment of something that is the—it's the highest position in the justice system. Yeah, exactly. Um, and with that in mind,
1: if you have doubts over that person's character, then you need to. Then, then... how could you? Yeah. It's sort of like the only—the only thing worse than telling your story
0: is not. Yeah. It was. And... I thought of this as a good metaphor. It's like when someone is being chosen to be head boy or head girl, but like in year nine, they um, did something like. I don't know, steal money from a teacher or, um, you know, get into a really bad... You know, did something really... It's like o- the microcosm yeah. of this. Yeah, and it's like, okay, so one could argue that they're a different person than they were in year nine, mm. okay, but equally, that still did happen, and if lots of friends in that year said, actually, I noticed this behaviour at this mm. time and I noticed this behaviour, then actually that can cause, you know, for concern for that character. Yeah. And I think that's exactly what happened here. And so, and actually classmates of his did testify to how drunk and disorderly he got and the story is that he was apparently very drunk um assaulted her in the sense that pinned her down onto a bed in this bedroom having locked the door having locked the door put his hand over her mouth so she couldn't scream and was attempting to take off her clothes um she believed that he was going to rape her and he acc- was going to rape her. And
1: accidentally kill her by Stra- suffocating yeah, her. Yeah,
0: suffocating her. And because she said the only thing is she had a swimming costume on, which meant that it wasn't able to be... Out. Yeah.
1: And the well. other part of her allegation is that um, another man called Mark Judge was in the room at mm-hmm. the time, and he would...
0: He was encouraging he was, he him. He was
1: encouraging him, and then saying stop, and he eventually toppled them over, yeah. which then meant that she could escape yeah. and run away. Yeah. And... I mean, it's it's hard to know where to start with this story. I think that what I was discussing with people at dinner last night was that this is a job interview. This isn't a question of, did he do it? Did he not do it? This is a job interview where it's peer-to-peer review. Mm-hmm. And through the stories that have come out from his classmates at university, through Dr Ford, through another woman who's come forward to say, that he, I think, exposed his genitals in her, front yeah. of her in university. Mm. If somebody was going for a job and they got that kind of peer
0: review, would they get that job? Probably not. Or it depends on the, the person interviewing them. It also depends on the job. This kind of job, not okay. This, this, this sort of individual who's going to be making these sorts of decisions for life now, this is, he could potentially be on the Supreme Court for 30 more years, Mm. having had this happen is ridiculous. Echoing Clarence Thomas and Anita Hill, I didn't realise that this has happened before. Um, She accused Clarence Thomas of sexual assault and sexual misconduct and he was voted on the su- Supreme Court anyhow mm. um so now there's both of now the, both of them are sitting on the Supreme Court and I was thinking a lot about this in the last couple of days and I was actually walking to work on Friday and I was like why does this upset me to my core so much there is the argument that there is no evidence that Dr Ford was assaulted and I know by Brett Kavanaugh by Brett Kavanaugh and I know as a just my instincts as a female, having had this sort of thing happen to me countless times, whether it be as minor as a brief touch or a stroke or a hand somewhere where it was not invited or welcomed at all to someone literally coming up to me in the middle of a crowded room, taking their hands and putting them around my face and literally kissing me without my consent or any like literally any kind of communication any kind of communication that's happened to me two or three times before i just thought oh my god this sort of thing happens all the time mm. there have been so many times where i've had so much uninvited um i'm completely inclined to mm. believe her completely and also i the- think for me, I
1: don't doubt that she was assaulted at the age of 15 In and that this happened. There are therapist's notes. Mm. We have a polygraph, which is like a lie detector, mm. which says that she was telling the truth. The question is, was it Brett Kavanaugh? Was it not Brett Kavanaugh? But the fact that I'm even saying the word doubt and that there is uncertainty over this immediately makes me think, well, no, he cannot become... The yeah. highest position of the justice system. And also, how is this is all yeah. about justice and mm. equality. You can't have that yeah. story surrounding somebody who is going to be making crucial decisions. Mm. And and I think that it's it's also relates to what Meryl Streep talked about in her Golden Globe speech. How when you've got somebody in a position of power who is not is has got things about his character that are you would not necessarily agree with namely Donald Trump, when you've got that person at the top, those issues surrounding them trickle down into the rest of society. Mm. And when you've got somebody at the top who's been accused of this and they get through, it communicates the message to me that it's okay for this to happen Mm. and that women can come forward and can be brave enough to tell their story and also to want to remain anonymous and then become exposed And just prove to herself why she was so nervous about having
0: her name attached to her. So how many faces of the people that have taken advantage of you have you forgotten? Zero. Exactly. She says that it was Brett Kavanaugh. I believe her that she says it was Brett Kavanaugh. I still remember all the faces of those boys. Mm.
1: (laughs) But also just the the questions over evidence I find really, really upsetting because Mm. I have had experiences over the years from Mm. 16 until 21. Mm -hmm. I had something that happened where I had not consented to that Mm -hmm. and it happened every single year Mm -hmm. five times Mm -hmm. different people Mm -hmm. four out of five times I was asleep and Mm -hmm. I woke up or was woken up Mm -hmm. by somebody that sometimes I hadn't even spoken to throughout the entire night however I did know every single one of those people Mm -hmm. and that's why we have a difference I've never had an experience which has been with a stranger yet Mm -hmm. I haven't had experience with people I've known and I think that that it's a it's a different complication. Yeah. Because you you can't you don't force them away and you don't shout and you don't scream and you don't because you're so you're almost so shocked that because yeah.
0: these are people that you would never think would do anything. Also I find that with experiences I've had with people I've known, I've almost I almost kind of think that I've done something to invite that completely attention because I've been like, "Oh, I must have completely. been flirty." Like I must have been, mm. and actually, I've had a few and drinks. I must have been too drunk. Too drunk I must have had a few drinks, things. so I, I maybe I just was just really mm-hmm. yeah,
1: and so, so what, I doubt
0: myself more mm-hmm.
1: completely. Mm. And but and the other thing is that I haven't reported or called out any of those people to mm. the extent that I should have. Mm-hmm. And post me too. If anything happened again, I certainly wouldn't behave in the same way that I did when I was sixteen. Mm. However, if I then had honored the news mm-hmm. that any of those people was being nominated for the highest position in the justice system, yeah. would I come forward? Yes, yeah, because I would force myself to yeah, and I'd force myself to relive it and I'd force myself to try and remember everything that I could, but this is what your brain does. you shut off the horrible yeah. things that have happened to you, whether it's sexual assault or whatever it is. you yeah.
0: always try and protect yourself completely by shutting those details out some of those moments that that's happened to me i honestly have hardly any memory of it and i genuinely believe and that's not because i've that's how been drinking too much or whatever it's genuinely because that area i've just like boxed off because i just genuinely feel so much Mm. shame because of it or feeling that i must have done something to incite it and therefore it's my fault really so i kind of really can't really think about it can't really talk about it and then it's a bury even deeper and i think um, Deborah Francis White sum this up brilliantly. And over the last year, in terms of the Me Too movement, I've heard quite a lot of um, people say, well, why did it take so long for a woman to report it? Or why didn't a woman report it until now? She wouldn't have been believed
1: 36 years ago.
0: Absolutely. And, and she
1: would nowhere near have had the confidence. I mean... You are scraping confidence to come forward now and think about how many people have tweeted Me Too and you're still
0: scared about coming forward. Completely. Um, And she says this. By coming forward, Dr Ford has rewritten the first line of her obituary to include her attacker's name and none of her achievements. His life is not in tatters, as described by Donald Trump. He got the job. Never again ask why women don't report it. I think that sums up perfectly.
1: It does. It really, really does. That's
0: why women don't report it, it's because they get the job anyway.
1: And I... I, yeah. God.
0: Mm. Even though I'm always inclined to believe the female, and the reason I'm always inclined is because this has happened to me, this has happened to so many of my friends. Mm. I, of course, believe in a fair trial and I do believe in a fair investigation. What I don't understand in this case is that the FBI only had a week to investigate Mm. fully this whole scenario. And actually, there were several witnesses who, of people who were at the party, of people who knew Kavanaugh, Mm. um, weren't questioned fully. There Um, were only ten people who were questioned. It felt like it was just pushed through as quickly as possible. Mm. And then what topped it off for me, what made me so incredibly angry, was watching the President of the United States mock Dr. Ford. In the same way that he's
1: mocked so many people before her.
0: At a rally in Missouri um, at the end of last week, he basically mocked her entire testimony and was making fun of the fact that she supposedly didn't remember anything and didn't remember this and didn't remember this. This is someone who has been recorded um, saying that he will grab a woman by the pussy and had had... Gosh, I think 20 women accuse him of sexual harassment. Um, yes, not all of those 20 women have been proven, um, but this is a person who, oh my God, absolutely has taken advantage of women in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and also it's just incredibly politically motivated. He now has a completely Republican uh, Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. It means that if the Democrats do come into power more in the midterms, that he can't be impeached. So for him, is winning.
1: Mm. And I think on that point that you just, you know, corrected yourself on, it's not been proven, proving this is so incredibly difficult. Mm. If if I had to prove anything that's happened to me, I wouldn't be able to. Yeah, neither. At all. No. I mean, I don't even know where I would start, and that was only a couple of years ago. But why do
0: we have this thing where we automatically don't believe the victim? I feel like I personally... I personally don't I feel like just generally because it's
1: been the default for so many years
0: I know that's so that is so wrong and also because you've been
1: taught that nothing happens anyway Mm. and this is what this is the message for me is what it's conveying and it's why it's shaken me up so much and it's brought up lots of things that I obviously don't like to think about Mm. and it isn't even a question of Brett Kavanaugh himself it's just what it represents and it's the injustice I feel of what's happened—that somebody who is not a hundred percent a good character, mm. we know we can't say that he's a hundred percent. If you've mm. had any of this, like there's no, there's no like smoke without fire. Basically, mm-hmm. this is not just allegations this yeah this is a really like a
0: continuous story yeah, there are other women who have come out and there so are other the women
1: there are other people it's not just one person we've got therapist notes of how much this has impacted her and as we've already said you cut out details when you're trying to protect yourself from trauma definitely and you and she had no incentive to come forward yeah. why why would you ever want to put yourself on that platform unless you felt and so th-
0: strongly and so convinced and that's what i hate about any kind of argument of like oh she just did this like obviously this is a setup for the other opposition political opposition no one wants to do this no one wants to be on the cover of time magazine testifying um as a victim of sexual assault and then and then still the supreme court nominee is voted in mm. and um can I just also I just want to retort to Donald Trump's son's comments last week about being worried about his sons in the light of the Me Too movement and worried about his sons generally. And what I wanted to say was just tell your sons not to touch women inappropriately and then you don't have to worry about them. Uh, Tell your sons to respect women and not do things like this, maybe like their grandfather. And then you don't have to worry about them. Like Mm. there's no need to worry about your sons Mm. (laughs) if they're treating women correctly.
1: Really good episode of Late Night... Or fairly, or just treating women like people. It doesn't matter. Mm. Really good episode of um, Late Night Women's Hour where they talk about um people who say that the me too movement has gone too far and you just think and again deborah francis what i feel like she is just the i know we quote her so much but she has so many brilliant things to say and she said well the women just putting up with all the crap had a very good run that went for millennia yeah and, and this has gone is, too this far is, and this is only gone for less than a year and you just think, my God, and we've still got this, we still got people saying, oh, well, I don't believe her when mm. she's standing up and, yeah. and saying things. And actually, and she didn't even, this is what really breaks my heart, she didn't actually want to be named in this, okay. and she was. It's an anonymous letter. The, the clips on the Daily where women were, the two women in particular were in an elevator. The and, Anguish
0: of Jeff Flake, that episode was really good. Yeah, yeah. and
1: they, they literally say to him, like, look at me. You, this is what you're telling me that you don't believe my story, that you mm. don't believe my sexual assault. She's taught this of a woman who's talking in such anguish about mm. what's happened to her, mm. and that simultaneously, I find so distressing but also very like I do take hope from that that they are actually able to voice that and say something, because mm. I think pre me too, would she ever have even come forward in the first place? Probably not. Mm. And I think that even though it hasn't been the outcome that I would have personally preferred, at least it has opened up the conversation again and shown us Definitely. that we have so far to go. But do take a look at this Time magazine cover. Her whole body and face is made up of the words
0: that she's spoken. And mm. and also they sum it up really well. They say um, the quote on the front is her lasting impact. And I think that that is Definitely, what we will take away from Dr. Ford's testimony is this lasting impact of people talk, speaking out about sexual assault, and no matter how many years has passed, it doesn't matter; it's still very real and it's still happened. And I hope. Well, that, I just
1: hope that people keep sharing their stories. Well, I hope and in the future doesn't so have to scared. be 36 years. It can be. Mm, it can be later on. It can on. be now. Yeah. And to bring it all together, and quote Maya Angelou once more: "There is no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside of you." And regardless of the outcome, I'm very glad that Dr. Ford did speak out. And I hope that all of the letters of support that I know people have been writing to her really reach her and support her and make her realise how important she is.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Figure Podcast. Um, As usual, you can find us on Instagram at figure podcast and on twitter at figurecast um and also, if you have any stories or things that you would like to share in light of this week's episode, we would love to hear them. Um, this is always a place of open conversation. Um, yeah thank you all for listening, and
1: this has not been an easy episode to record by any means. I think that quite often we are um, much more upbeat, but I think it's important to be honest and not to fake being happy and positive about how we're feeling because this week has not been an easy one in terms of what's happened. And what I am grateful for is all of my friends who are there to support. And just thank you for continuing to support us in this podcast and i'm glad that we are able to keep learning about what is going on and sharing our thoughts on it and starting conversations i hope